0: Слава Україні! Героям слава! Слава Україні! слава! Слава Україні! слава! Слава Україні,
1: слава! Слава Україні, слава! SLAVA HEROIAM, SLAVA SLAVA UKRAINE, SLAVA There's a teacher holding a Kalashnikov You can see the flame in her eyes There's a bus driver with a molotov You can see the flame in his eyes There are families without their fathers You can see the flame in their eyes The bear has removed guys. You can see the flame in my eyes. Slava Ukraine. Slava. Slava Ukraine. Slava. Slava hero. Slava Slava Ukraine. Slava. Slava Ukraine. Slava. Slava Slava Ukraine. Slava. Slava Slava. Slava hero. Slava Ukraine, slava, slava There's a cry from my mother, please don't shoot us no more There's a cry from my father, please don't shoot us no more There's a cry from the people, please don't Героям слава. Слава Україні, слава. Слава Украине, слава. Слава Украине, слава. Слава героям, слава. Слава Украине, слава.
2: And that was a brand new song released on YouTube performed by an Estonian soldier, Artur Rehi, and it's from a video that was made in cooperation with the Estonian Defense Forces. The music and lyrics are by Artur Rehi. He's got a YouTube channel called Estonian Soldier, and you can find the lyrics there as well as see the video. The song is called Slavo Kriini, a song about war in Ukraine. Dobrý večer i vitajte vás s výhradní radio službou na rádio programu Naš holos rádio Křížskoho Kurinja, která podělíte vám na báhatu můvni rádio AM 1320 dvaceti u B v místě Vancouveri. První křivodílní Pavlína. Hello there and welcome to Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Palbina. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we've got uh, another packed program for you. We've got uh, lots of new music um, as well. We've got an uh, interesting um, commentary uh, that clarifies matters about the Azov Battalion, the much maligned Azov Battalion, which is doing incredibly heroic work in eastern Ukraine protecting civilians as well they can. As well, we have a book review, and this is a story with eerie parallels to what is happening in Ukraine today, despite being set in the World War II era. We also have a Did You Know feature with some interesting factoids about Ukraine's currency. So stay tuned for all of those as well. Plenty of great Ukrainian music, as mentioned, and that of course includes a lot of new music as well as a few traditional favorites that'll be coming up later in the show. So coming up next is another brand new song, and this was released by Miles Goodwin. He was the front man for April Wine, a popular group back in the 70s and 80s, and it's still popular now. And this song comes to us courtesy Stefan Andrusiak, who posted it on Facebook, and Stefan Andrusiak was the drummer for the legendary Ruchnechok band of Montreal and a producer and host of the podcast Nasha Kasha. Here is... Miles Goodwin with for Ukraine.
3: I see warplanes flying over Ukraine. I hear missiles and the death that they bring. I don't know about you, but I. like we should do all we can do for Ukraine Innocent families are caught up in war With no escape, no safe place anymore Without water, power or heat And no medicine The sick and the weak There's no end to the suffering and pain I hear voices cry out time and time again Zelensky pleads justice for all Bravely asking with his back against the wall Civilians and soldiers fight for their land. Shoulder to shoulder they take stand. Pain. And people's lives will never be the same. Women weep and children cry. Some will live and some will die.
2: under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications and, when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com or visit ukrainewaramps.ca.
5: Early Bird Weekend Passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, Early Bird Weekend Passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba by phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca. Дорогі українські народи,
6: браття і сестри, рідні моєму серцю українські воїни, і всі ви, братя і сестри, хто разом з нами боронить нашу священну матір Україну. Весь світ дивиться на нас, на те, як ми згуртувалися, як ми не боїмося, як ми разом кожен на своєму місці даємо відсіч кремлівській Орді. Путін! Ти, курва, заплатиш нам за все. За материнські сльози. За кожного вбитого і замордованого українського солдата. За кожен порушений сон наших дітей. За кожну пережиту світом мить війни. У тебе нічого не вийде. Ми вже вас перемогли. Ви всі тут здохнете. Ми не здамося і не зламаємося. Ніколи. Ми будемо вас вбивати з такою люттю. Кожного по декілька разів. І навіть якщо комусь з вас... Вдасться врятуватися, знайте, рано чи пізно ми всіх вас знайдемо і знищимо. Русські солдати і офіцери, у вас ще є шанс спасти свою честь, здавайтесь в плен, спасіть ваші душі. Слава Україні! Перемога буде за нами! Смерть рашистським окупантам!
0: Любі мої діти, мила мамо і тату! Я іду на війноюню нашу землю захищати. Не було за мною, якщо в полі сгину. Завіта за любу нікого наш Україну. Я донимуся братя з усіх угод Нехай За Украину Богу душу нашу, відомоє ти ну, за нашу землю священну Украину Богу душу нашу, відомоє на ти дину, за нашу. Широкий, за чорное за небезну, за теню, за, тара, за брата, за нашу... So слава words, а я i Що в полі згину, це відам за любу неньку нашу країну, не плачте за мною, якщо в волі згину, це
2: what has become known as the anthem of the defense of Ukraine. Uh, the song title is Bratya Brothers Ukrainians, performed there by Vova Geyser, who is the lead of the group Shabla, along with the orchestras of law enforcement agencies of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. It was uh, posted a few years ago, but Vova published it again recently with his uh, commentary before it, which you heard. If you're interested in the lyrics, the translation of the lyrics, if you're uh, Ukrainian-challenged, you can find the entire English translation. Check out the pinned post on the Holos Facebook page. Up next, the National Academic Choir of Ukraine, Dumka, with the Ukrainian National Anthem. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English.
7: In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Kristina Lutsikberger's historical novel, The Woman at the Gates. The Woman at the Gates begins in the summer of 1945 in Bavaria. Antonia, her sister Lina, and her two nephews are recovering after their harrowing experiences in World War II. They have fond memories of their Ukrainian village of High, but they also remember the horrific days of struggle under the Soviet and Nazi regimes. Kristina Lutzitberger's poignant novel is a brutally realistic portrayal of a Ukrainian patriot and freedom's heavy toll. It is 1941 in Ville, and Antonia has joined the Clandestine Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, OUN. She wants to help free Ukraine from its foreign rulers. Initially, she too had been prepared to fight those who repressed her country's language, traditions, and cultures, a Ukrainian's very right to exist. By day, she teaches languages at the university and at night she writes articles for the underground newspaper, Our Nation's Voice. Several of her friends work with her, Ivan Kovalenko and his sister Oksana, as well as Dr. Victor Gruber, her colleague at the university. Antonia is in love with Gruber, and they hope to get married. Under their leader Andriy Mennik, the members of OUN are fighting against Soviet control. They are concerned about the radicals led by Stepan Bandera because they have not accepted Mennick's leadership. Antonia and her friends are caught between the Soviet and German forces. Both sides want to exploit Ukraine and its resources. As World War II rages on, the dangers increase. Antonia is taken into custody by the Soviets and tortured. As the Nazis close in on Ville Ukrainian prisoners are systematically executed. Antonia fears that Victor, her lover, has died. Ivan and his fellow patriots rescue Antonia from Soviet captivity. She must now go into hiding. Antonia's sister is Lina Rem, a famous writer, and her brother-in-law, Roman Mazur, is a renowned painter. They and their two children are in danger from the Soviet forces and must escape to a safer country. Antonia flees with her sister's family. Their journey is long and arduous. She grieves for Victor, but is reluctant to get involved with Ivan, who has loved her for years. When the Nazis invade Ukraine, Ukrainians are faced with difficult choices. Should they collaborate with the Germans in order to gain freedom for Ukraine, or should they resist? Underlying everything is the conflict between the two factions of Ukrainian nationalists. When Antonia and her family end up in a German concentration camp, their only hope of survival is beyond the gates of the camp. This story is very personal for Christina Lusitberger, you have to understand that this family story, that project where I recorded my family's history, has been following me across oceans for over 25 years. The writer combines pieces of her family history with historical events to create a heart wrenching portrait of a courageous young woman who faces impossible odds. She is terrorized, hunted, and imprisoned in a concentration camp, where she faces starvation, rape, and torture. Her ordeal is unimaginable, and readers will be shocked by the brutal treatment she faces in order to survive. Throughout all her struggles, Antonia retains her dignity and belief in the idea of a free Ukrainian nation. The Ukrainian patriots faced an impossible dilemma when confronted with choosing between two enemies, Nazis or Soviets. Readers may be shocked by the venom of the conflict between their followers of Bandera and Melnik. Antonia and her friends spare no mercy for the Banderites; They call them enemies, terrorists, and fascists. The conflict between the two groups is not only shocking to modern observers, it also has deadly results in this novel. Kristina lucic was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She wrote short stories and travel narratives before working as a journalist and editor. In 2005, she started writing historical fiction and has not looked back since. Her Russian Valley series is based on the South Tyrolean-Italian conflict during the interwar period. This series includes... No Man's Land, Bolzano, and Two Fatherlands. Her more recent works include Souvenirs from Kiev and The Girl from the Mountains. Christina's stories have won several awards, including the 2020 Ippi Book Award and the HNS International Short Story Award. Christina also has worked as a trainer, improving business communication for companies since 2003. She writes her historical fiction novels at her home in Austria. The Woman at the Gates is a heartbreaking novel with a powerful message for readers. Knowledge is power, but it is the key to understanding and to empathy. The Woman at the Gates is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon.
2: Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Konishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio.
0: Кожним ходом верні міцні, не зламнімо граніт, поплачене дав, в нікому жде свободи, а хто борець, той здобуває світ, поплачене дав, в нікому ж є свободи, а хто борець, той здобуває світ.
1: Усіх єдину наш гордий клич народові несе, Вітчизні будь, ти вірний до загину, Нам Україна вище понад все, Вітчизні будь, ти вірний до загину, Нам Україна вище понад
8: все.
0: Слава для нас, закон, найвищий до наказ. Соборна українська є держава, одна навік, одна в серцях у нас, Соборна Українська є держава, одна на вік, одна серця у нас.
2: And that was the Khmelnytsky Police Big Band with Zrodelis Mevelekui Hodene, which translates roughly as we were born into a great hour, and that has become the, um, the anthem of the Ukrainian military today. This is Irena Bell, producer and host
9: of the Ukrainian Hour on Chin Radio in Ottawa. With a Did You Know Chiznaleve segment and special greetings to the listeners of Nash Holos. Did you know that the Ukrainian currency, the Hryvnia, was voted by Swiss economists as the most beautiful currency in the world during the annual meeting of the Aesthetics Commission of the International Finance Bank held in September 2008 in Switzerland? The top five beautiful banknotes in order were the Ukrainian Hryvnia the Australian dollar, the euro, Bulgarian lev, and the U.S. dollar. A team of experts evaluated more than 50 national currencies, taking into account the aesthetic design of the banknotes, their solvency and security features, as well as the historical significance of personalities and architectural structures depicted on the currency. In addition, the bills were tested for durability. The Canadian dollar tore the easiest, but that's before the current polymer banknotes. That was followed by the British pound and the Latvian lat. The hryvnia passed the durability test with flying colors. And this information is from an article published in February 2012 on the Ukrainian Philatelic and Numismatic Society website. Дуже
2: Many thanks to Irena Bell of the Ukrainian radio program in Ottawa for sharing Chisnaleve, Did You Know?, with Nashola's listeners. You can catch her show at www.chinradioottawa.com. This is CHMB, AM
4: 1320, Vancouver. Early bird weekend passes for Canada's
5: National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, early bird weekend passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba by phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca.
2: Up next, CDI dispatch number four the Azov Regiment and Western Moral Procrastination. This is a commentary by Anton Shekhovsov, who talks about the Ukrainian Azov Regiment, its history and evolution, and explains the reasons behind the information attacks on this military unit that plays an important role in resisting the Russian genocidal invasion. This is the audio track of a YouTube video, which you can watch. There's a little more that we can't provide here on Nasholus, because, of course, we don't have video, but uh, something that you might want to check out. You can find the links in the show notes of the podcast. Anton Shekovsov is director of the Center for Democratic Integrity and the author of Russia and the Western Far Right.
10: More than a month has passed since Russia launched its full-blown invasion of Ukraine. Russian invaders have already committed multiple war crimes, and the genocidal intentions of the current Russian leadership towards the Ukrainian nation are becoming increasingly obvious. Although massively demoralized, and often and understandably turning arms against each other, Russian invaders do not hesitate to bomb and shell any building they can reach. No matter if it's a residential building, a hospital, a local council, a kindergarten, an art museum, a theater, they destroy everything. They kill indiscriminately. It sometimes feels that they have adopted the United Nations definition of genocide as literally their program. Killing members of the group. Check. Causing serious bodily or mental harm to the members of the group. Check. Preventing births within the group. Check. And now they've started kidnapping children and moving them to Russia. Forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Check. In order to distract Western attention from the immense humanitarian catastrophe caused by the invasion, Russia is using various smokes and mirrors techniques. One of those deceptive practices is Moscow's focus on the Azov regiment that is falsely described by the Kremlin and pro-Kremlin media as a fascist or neo-Nazi militia or battalion. All these descriptions are wrong and today I'm going to talk about Azov and explain the reasons behind the information attacks against this military unit that plays an important role in resisting the Russian genocidal invasion. In February 2014, Ukrainian pro-Russian President Viktor Yanukovych fled to Russia after his regime had killed more than a hundred of protesters. Russia took advantage of the political turmoil in Ukraine and the hesitancy of Western leadership. It illegally annexed Crimea and invaded eastern Ukraine. Ukraine could hardly defend itself. Years of corrupt pro-Russian leadership almost destroyed Ukrainian armed forces and many in the Ukrainian military were simply not psychologically ready to offer armed response to those who were their neighbors. Malicious Russian leaders were obviously aware of those weaknesses of the Ukrainian society and exploited them to the maximum. What Moscow was not aware of was the strength of Ukrainian volunteer networks. Those networks were built during the Maidan Revolution, and following the invasion of Ukraine, they formed first resistance groups that were later transformed into volunteer battalions. Azov was formed as a volunteer police battalion in May 2014. The original battalion consisted mostly of football hooligans and members of the Ukrainian far-right movement. And it was the far-right organization Patriot of Ukraine that was in charge of the original battalion. Like many of my colleagues, I was extremely skeptical and critical of the original battalion for several reasons. I will give you four of them. First, the Patriot of Ukraine was one of the most racist and anti-Semitic groups in Ukraine. Its members were involved in spreading far-right propaganda and occasional political and criminal violence. It was almost impossible to trust those people, especially given their anti-democratic and anti-establishment rhetoric. Second, the leadership of the Patriot of Ukraine, including the first commander of Azov, did not participate in the Ukrainian revolution, as they were all imprisoned on different charges. They were released, together with other people who were considered to be political prisoners of the pro-Russian regime, after Yunikovich fled to Russia. That meant that the leaders of the Patriot of Ukraine did not have an opportunity to show their worth during the most dramatic periods of the Ukrainian revolution, and we didn't know what to expect of them. Third, the far-right imagery of the original Azov battalion played into the hands of the Russian propaganda that pictured the Ukrainian revolution as a fascist coup and all volunteer battalions as neo-Nazis. Fourth, several people who were directly involved in the formation of the battalion had a very dubious history of cooperating not only with pro-Russian forces in Ukraine, but also with Russian spin doctors. Moreover, neither Azov nor other volunteer units did proper screening of volunteers, some of whom came from Russia. All that created a huge security risk of Russian operatives seizing control of Azov and turning it into an anti-Ukrainian force. To sum up these points, we had well-justified concerns about Azov and did not trust it. Nobody doubted the fact that at that time Ukraine needed volunteers of any social or political background. Remember, at that time, the Ukrainian army was almost non-existent. If you are drowning, you will unlikely be asking about social attitudes or political convictions of those willing to save you. But what if they're willing to save you just to kill you in a different manner? With time, some of our concerns disappeared. In June 2014, Azov played a very important role in liberating the Ukrainian city of Mariupol from pro-Russian forces. And that proved not only Azov's combat effectiveness, but also their truly pro-Ukrainian positions. Because of its fighting abilities, Azov started to attract more volunteers, and many of them had no political background at all. In autumn 2014, Azov was transformed into a regiment and enrolled into the National Guard of Ukraine, which is part of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. That created a hierarchical vertical to ensure, as much as possible, that Azov would remain loyal to the Ukrainian state. And also, within a few months after the creation of the Azov battalion, people who had history of these dubious links to Russian and pro-Russian stakeholders moved away from the battalion. And while several Russian agents infiltrated Azov, they were never able to exert any serious impact on its service. The remaining major concern was the political aspect of the regiment. But because of the domestic and international criticism of the far-right background of the leadership of the original battalion, Azov started the process of depoliticization. In 2015, a number of former fighters of Azov formed an NGO, Azov Civil Corps, that was transformed into a party called National Corps in 2016. Far-right figures departed from the command of Azov and became engaged in the party building. They hoped that the popular support for defenders of Ukraine would somehow translate into political success and electoral victories. So at that time the separation of the national Corps from Azov was not yet complete. They had to keep the link, if only symbolical, between the defenders of the motherland, who enjoyed uh, respect from the Ukrainian society, and the political project. But already then it was quite clear that the regiment followed orders of Ukraine's interior ministry, while the National Corps had no power over the military unit. The party's hopes to benefit from Azov's military valor were all in vain. In public opinion polls, figures for the National Corps and all other Ukrainian far-right parties were devastating. The National Corps kept on referring to Azov as its affiliated organization, and naive Western journalists and experts took all that bluster at face value instead of realizing that Azov was not a political organization and that its command structure was completely separate from the National Corps. By the time of the Ukrainian parliamentary elections in 2019, it became evident that no far-right party would make it to the parliament. Out of despair, Ukrainian far-right parties decided to team up and join forces to compete in the parliamentary elections. But their united list that included members of the national core, freedom party, right sect and a few minor far-right organizations received just over 2% of the vote and uh, failed to get them elected into the parliament. The electoral fail of the Ukrainian far-right can be explained by the fact that they cannot offer anything viable to the Ukrainian state and society. The only time when the Ukrainian far-right was relatively successful in the elections was in 2012, when the Freedom Party received 10.5% of the vote. I want to stress, they secured seats in the Ukrainian parliament not because of their far-right program, but because of their radical criticism of the Kremlin and its agents in Ukraine. After the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014, the Ukrainian far-right lost its monopoly on radical criticism of Russia. And with that, they essentially lost all the electoral appeal that they had. The Ukrainian far-right in general fell into irrelevance, and the national core and groups around it suffered an identity crisis. They tried to experiment with different ideological narratives, largely borrowed from Western far-right discourses, but none of them really worked outside of very, very small groups. And ironically, when the Western far-right tried to exploit the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020-2021 and to promote their anti-government conspiracy theories, the National Corps ran an information campaign on how to avoid getting infected, totally in line with the mainstream domestic and international guidelines on the new coronavirus. The National Corps still refers to its symbolical link to the Azov Regiment, but it's rather political propaganda of the National Corps than a reality. Azov today is a highly professional special operations detachment. To stress, not a political organization, not a militia, not a far-right battalion. A special operations detachment. It is still formally subordinated to the National Guard of Ukraine's interior ministry, but uh, in reality it now largely coordinates its activities with the armed forces. So we can expect that Azov will move under the command of uh, Ukraine's defense ministry. Azov consists predominantly of Ukrainian citizens of various ethnic backgrounds. Among Azov's fighters, there are ethnic Ukrainians, Russians, Crimean Tatars, Georgians, Belarusians, Greeks, Jews. But whatever their ethnic background, they are all Ukrainian patriots, who are risking and sacrificing their lives for Ukraine's sovereignty, freedom and democracy. The Kremlin, -Kremlin, pro-Kremlin, far-left media picture Azov as haters of Russian speakers. But not only do Azov fighters speak mostly Russian among themselves, Actually, they on average speak better Russian than Russian invaders. Remember this the next time you will hear blatant Kremlin lies that Azov is allegedly fighting against Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine. One may ask, why has Azov become one of the main targets of lies, fabrications and falsehoods produced by the Kremlin and pro-Kremlin propaganda? An obvious explanation is that the attack on Azov is part of the Kremlin's disinformation narrative on Nazis in Ukraine. A less obvious but probably more important explanation is linked to the place where Azov has been stationed since 2014. This is the Ukrainian city of Mariupol and the area around it. Back in 2014, if you remember, Azov greatly contributed to the liberation of Mariupol from the pro-Russian henchmen. Mariupol is not yet another Ukrainian city. If you look at the map of Ukraine, you will see that Mariupol is the largest and most important city located in the area that is considered to be a potential land bridge from Russia to annex Crimea. Because of the logistical troubles that Russia has with supplying Crimea with water, electricity and other resources, it is crucial for Russia to occupy territories of that potential land bridge. But Mariupol stands in the way, and Azov stands in the way. The entire regiment is now in Mariupol. Through its agents in Ukraine and elsewhere, Moscow has been trying really hard to destroy Azov, or at the very least, weaken its military capabilities. Especially in NATO member states, there was a massive effort to prevent Azov fighters from receiving military training from Ukraine's Western allies as well as to prevent Azov from obtaining advanced weapons and hardware. The Kremlin's efforts have been, to a certain extent, successful. And today, the Azov Regiment that defends Mariupol, completely surrounded by the Russian invaders, has neither javelin anti-tank systems nor Bayraktar drones that would have helped them to defend the city and save thousands of lives of residents of Mariupol. All thanks to those people, Western pro-Russian politicians, pseudo-journalists, Fake experts, ignored consultants, who indirectly or directly lobbied against training Azov and equipping it with advanced weapons. Make no mistake, they all share responsibility for the humanitarian catastrophe in Mariupol. Of course we can say that the Westerners obsessed with the alleged neo Nazi threat of Azov are all victims of dysmetropia and inability to judge an object's size. In one of my favorite British sitcoms, Father Ted, the main character tried to explain to his less smart colleague, Father Dougal Maguire, the difference in size between toy cows and the real cows. These are small ones, he said, but the ones out there are far away. Father Ted was unsuccessful, because Father Dougal had dysmetropsia, and frankly was an idiot. The same can be said about Western commentators, who see no difference between the alleged far-right threat of Azov and Russian genocidal invasion of Ukraine. But I think that dysmetropsia cannot explain everything, and I would rather talk about Western moral procrastination. Unfortunately, we all know what procrastination is. It is about voluntarily distracting ourselves with insignificant activities from performing really important tasks. Moral procrastination is about giving preference to small exciting things instead of dealing with difficult issues that actually matter. Let me show you something. This is Mariupol, a predominantly Russian-speaking home of Ukrainians, Russians, Greeks, Jews, Armenians. Oh, it used to be their home, before the Russian invaders came. The invaders have already killed thousands of people there, and they're killing them right now, as I speak. Many of the dead are lying unburied on the streets of Mariupol because every time their relatives and friends try to pick them up, to bury them, Russian invaders shoot at them. If people are lucky to pick them up, they usually have to bury them in mass graves. And those residents of Mariupol, who still survive, are forced to hide in the basements where they starve and freeze and die. This chilling horror is psychologically hard to process, but we are morally obliged To be aware of this, that this is happening in Europe, right around the corner. And our human nature pushes us to do something to stop Russian inhuman war crimes. But there are many in the west who instead of even starting to comprehend the horrendous brutality of Russia's war against Ukraine, prefer to distract themselves with inquiries whether Azov fighters have any politically incorrect tattoos or t-shirts. Much more exciting of course than to stand up to the Russian genocidal invasion. This moral procrastination needs to be met with disdain and contempt. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky recently awarded the country's highest award, the hero of Ukraine, to Azov commander Denis Prokopenko for Azov's selfless epic struggle against superior numbers of the Russian enemy forces. Well deserved. But in Mariupol, Azov defends not only the living and the wounded, but also the dead. Not only do they deserve to be properly buried, they are also silent witnesses to Russian war crimes. As we well know, Russian invaders are equipped with mobile crematoriums that they use to destroy evidence of their villainy. And in Mariupol, Azov is now defending not only the freedom of the living, but also the dignity of the dead.
6: Прийшли окупанти до нас в Україну Форма новенька, воєнні машини Та трохи поплавився їх інвентар Байрактар Байрактар Російські танкісти сховались в кущі Щоб лаптя посорбати довбані щі, Та трохи в ушах перегрівся навар Байрактар Вдохались до нас барани Для вас восстановления великої страни Найкращий пастух, баранячий хотар Байрахтар
1: Байрахтар Їх доводи всяке озброєння, різне ракети, потужні машини, залізні У нас на всі доводи є коментар Котіли нас зразу і ми зачаїли на орків образу З бандитів російських робить примар Байрахтар
6: Байрахтар Російська поліція справи заводить На вбивцю расистів ніяк не знаходить Хто ж винен, що в нашому полі глухар
2: And that song was called Bayraktar and Bayraktar is a word for a Turkish invention a very recent one, an uncrewed combat aerial vehicle, in other words, a drone, and a very deadly drone that has been an effective tool against Russian invaders and crucial for Ukraine's tactical victories to date in this terrible war. Bayraktar has become a part of Ukrainian pop culture. It's used in many memes, and even some new parents are naming their baby boys Bayraktar. They're also naming baby girls Javelina, and that is a Ukrainian for the anti-tank missile system known in the West as Javelins. And so here is a song called Javelina, and it is dedicated to all the military who heroically defend Ukraine.
11: Ляхати джавеліни Хлопці заряджали Орків валять ці ракети Як святі ті кінджали? Хай вертаються додому Нахуй з кораблями Що ж ти робиш джавеліне З тими москалями? Як стріляють джавеліни Ворог швидко гине Джавеліне, джавеліне Любий джавеліне Джавеліне, джавеліне
8: Файди, джавеліне
0: Ха-ха!
11: Танки БТР підбиті, ворог відгріває Хоч рашисти потім спрешуть, що потерь немає У Сибір втечуть кацапи, наш народ могутний Десь у бункері усреться навіть хуйло Путін Как стреляют джавелины, ворог быстро гинет. Джавелине, джавелине, люби джавелине. Джавелине, джавелине,
8: the джавелине!
5: Early Bird Weekend Passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 are now available for only $110. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. Visit Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for featured entertainment. For only $110, Early Bird Weekend Passes are now available for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival 2022 in Dauphin, Manitoba. By phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca.
2: By Request Band from Steinbach, Manitoba, with the Driftaway Waltz, and uh, By Request will be one of the performing groups at Canada's National Ukrainian Festival, which will be taking place the August-long weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. And our Proverb of the Week translates as We will not have good fortune in Ukraine as long as interlopers remain. Well, that brings us to the end of our program, so we'll wrap it up with a medley of traditional Ukrainian folk tunes, simply called Ukrainian Fantasy, performed by Maxim Popichuk. I'm Pavlina, on behalf of all of us here at Holos and AM thirteen twenty. Thanks for listening, and Dobranic, Slavo karini. Heroim Slava. <laughs>